You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Huh? Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bledsoe. This week, we are talking about Nightbreed from 1990. Uh, Tell me, talk about it. I'm joined by someone who has not been here in far too long. Uh, He's the host of the VHS podcast. It's Dirk Marshall. Dirk, how you doing? I'm so excited to be back. Thanks so much for having me. And I can't believe that I get to talk about Nightbreed. Yes, I'm excited because I, I was su- I was surprised you didn't talk about it on your own podcast because we're going to get into it. But I realized how much you love Nightbreed and I was just excited you actually to talk about it. Yeah, I have like books on it. It's one of those things that like, I mean, we'll get into it, but I am I'm just so uh, excited to be chatting with you. You're one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And so to get to have a conversation with you about something involving Clive Barker, I'm over the moon. I'm super excited. Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that. It's very nice. Uh, I'm always excited to hear people talk about their favorite movies on this show or some of their favorite movies. So that that's always exciting. So should be a good time. Um, before we get into Nightbreed, there's a lot to talk about Nightbreed. <laughs> so um, talk about stuff we've seen lately. So I'm curious what you've been watching lately, because I feel like you are always watch- watching interesting things. Most time, I've hardly even ever heard of them. So I'm curious what you have. Thanks. <laughs> you know, I hear that a lot. The more and more this all goes on, <laughs> which is so funny. Like, I think the weirdest thing about we- being weird is not knowing you're weird. Like the normalcy, you know what I mean? When you're like, at least I always assume I'm like, everyone's into this. And then the more I talk to people, they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, (laughs) I guess nobody, I don't know. My wife is always very kind to let me know. She's like, they don't have any clue what you're talking about right now. And I'm like, okay, sorry. Um, Because I think there's a perception always, if you're into stuff and you keep digging for weird things that you're trying to like, no more than somebody else. I think that comes from when I worked in record stores and stuff, you know, the cool bands kind of idea. And I think that like leaks into movies too, but that's not me. And I think you'll get that from some of the things I've been watching. But um, (laughs) the first one I want to talk about is Cyberjack from 1995, starring uh, Michael Dudikoff, uh, Suki Kaiser, and Brian James, everyone's favorite baddie from 80s and 90s movies. (laughs) Uh, we all love him so much. The uh, premise is the elite hackers, the Cyberjacks, thank you very much, led <laughs> by an albino Brian James, reason alone to watch the movie, uh, are after a computer virus to end the world. But luckily, they killed Michael's partner, so he's going to get vengeance mm. and stop them at the same time. And it's called Cyberjacks. I mean, <laughs> it's I, I thoroughly had a great time watching it. It's a little... The the DVD I have is a little muddy, especially in the beginning. It feels you're like kind of you might pull back a little bit on like this feels pretty cheap. But then uh, then it get, gets cooking and 
man, Albino Brian James is fantastic. <laughs> I, I a lot of things you said there. I really I'm interested. Albino Brian James. Uh, I love movie where a cop gets revenge on his dead partner. Yeah. Uh, hackers in the 90s. Great. Cy it's called Cyberjack. Uh, I was Googling it while you were saying because it sounded so familiar. I'm like, have I feel like I must have passed this by in a video store many, many times oh, in the yeah. 90s. But like it just seems like one of those movies like say Michael Dudikoff and I, like that. He probably was it was somewhere in a video store. I saw Cyberjack and probably almost rented it because I was, you know, a kid and was like, that sounds cool. But I never did. I don't think. But I'm going to add it to my list. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, I I'd crossed paths with, with it back in the day, forgot about it. And then Stephanie Crawford posted it on Twitter. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's the albino Brian James movie. <laughs> And then I, you know, it's a $5 DVD on eBay, which for me is like a steal anytime. Cause oh, like, yeah, yeah. otherwise mails all bills and stuff. I'm not looking for, but if I have something to look forward to, like Albino Brian James, sign me up. Yes, yes. Any $5 price point is dangerous because I will buy basically anything at $5. <laughs> like, um, it's, if I'm even like kind of interested, I'm like, hey, it's five bucks. They can have my money. So I might be looking on eBay for cyber check later. <laughs> I hope you do. I really do. <laughs> what about yourself? Um, well, I know I was, we usually just, I usually, you just go and do all your oh, stuff and okay. I was going to do my stuff. So no problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, next I watched Peacock King. That's from 1988 directed okay. by Sam Kai. Uh, it's the last film of his that I hadn't watched. So I was super excited. He did a story of Ricky, uh, oh, okay. Gary, the cat. Um, this was one that had eluded me. And so I finally just bought like, I, I don't know where it came from, but it's it's grubby. It's a grimy <laughs> version of this movie, but I just had to see it. Uh, so the premise is coerced by the evil witch Raga, Ashura the Hell Virgin attempts to unlock the four earth holes and <laughs> gates of hell. That That's the premise. But there's like uh, monks with magical powers. You get stop motion ghoulies, transformations, uh, demon projections cannibalism flying warriors i mean if you know his movies he throws it all at the screen and it's just so fun and i feel like the more i talk about these movies covered a couple on my podcast like the seventh curse and the cat the more i talk about it i feel like i'm willing a blu-ray set into existence because i've chased all these down individually mm -hmm. paid so much money for them that i feel like somebody's going to be like here's his full collection for 35 dollars," and i'll be like <laughs> All right, great. Well, Son of a bitch, what have I done? Yeah. Um, I I love Riccio. So yeah. the story of Riccio is like one of my favorite things I've seen in the past few years. I love it. Someone posted just one scene from the cat on Twitter recently. Which one was it? The 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 um, like the what's it called? The I'm not sure what's. I want to call happening. it a car cemetery. Junkyard. Is it the junkyard? Scene? No, no, no. There's a scene where it looks like people are in like a. Oh, the slime coming out of a vent? Yes, it's like they're in a break yeah. room or something. And yes. then, like, the slime coming out of a vent, it's all going orange, I believe. Yeah. And the cat's kind of sitting there just kind of watching it all go down. I'm like, I have to see this movie. And I found that it's very hard to see the cat. Uh, from what I can tell, it is not easy to... I think I couldn't find, like, a DVD of it online. So um, no. I got to yeah. dig deeper, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, yeah, and I didn't I don't, I don't, didn't know he did The Seventh Curse, too, which I also really enjoyed um he makes some wild movies uh so that's yeah all right add that one to the the list of, of stuff to see yeah i i thoroughly enjoyed it again found a grimy transfer i don't know why his movies are so difficult to find i know it's not music rights i don't know what the deal is but 
I know that there's people out there trying and uh, that's what matters. So hopefully this year, I feel like I've spent enough money to will it into existence. So. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing, thanks to good old Gold Ninja video, I watched Thrilling Bloody Sword from 1981, directed by Sin Lee Chang. The daughter of a queen and a comet is abandoned by her family. That's right. Yes, you're Wait. correct. <laughs> yeah, it starts out she's she's already pregnant, and a comet flies through the sky and into her belly and out shoots like a pupa, I'm guessing, that is then found by the seven dwarves, sort of, and when they stab it, it turns into a regular baby. That's fine. <laughs> it's that's the opening. It is so. So then she comes across a prince who's fighting a multi-headed dragon and falls in love with them. And then Why there's not? even to try to tear them apart. It I love these. I, this is the year I got really into these really bizarre, quote unquote, fantasy like kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. I love the weird like mask that shoots optical laser things. I love the weird practical monster head things. It's just like. It's so fantastical, so strange, so weird, and so practical that I just absolutely love these things. And so I had a great time with Thrilling Bloody Sword. Wow. Okay. That is just the premise alone. I'm like, yeah. okay, how do I yeah. see this? Uh, I was like, a comet and a queen. How does that work? Um, it's bizarre. Gold Ninja Video put it out. You can still get it. Uh, I recommend it. It's also, you know, it's not like something that's been super cleaned up. The, uh, the I don't think the elements are able to be restored to mm-hmm. pristine compatibility. So it's fun to get to see like, you know, all the things they attempted with like Grindhouse, but it's like real. It's actually time has done that to this thing. So it's uh, yeah. it, it's very fun. Wow. Um, I Yeah, I'm just I'm still taking that premise in. Oh, yes. um, that reminds me, I'll give a shout out to your recent uh, Discoveries episode on your podcast oh, with you. Lindsay and Ryan, which I really enjoyed. Yes. And I feel like Gold Ninja Video came up a few times. Uh, and I was like, I need to check this company out because they're putting out some really weird stuff, like out there stuff. Um, especially like the Jackie Chan knockoffs, I think you mentioned. Or yes. Bruce Lee, or I can't remember who it was. We mentioned both of them. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know what Justin DeClue's doing over there is just like, it's just all like just pure hearted movie love. Like you can tell that this person has done the research. They're steeped in this thing and they want to put these releases out. And just the intros alone, I I said in my discoveries episode, like I just, you just feel the excitement and there's nothing I love. That's why I listen to movie podcasts because I listen to the ones where people like love on stuff so hard. Cause I'm like, yes, I love the specificity of what you're into. I love that you're like obsessed with it. You know, all the ins and outs of it. And so I, I can't mm-hmm. champion these labels enough for doing what they do. And, okay, well, uh, I good stuff as usual. So I would not expect anything less. I <laughs> I think I'm going to keep the, I think a few of those, a couple of those released Hong Kong picks. I'm going to keep that train rolling uh, because I only have two things, but they're both uh, Hong Kong action movies I've never seen before um, that both got box sets recently. Um, the first one is called Royal Warriors, which is also called In the Line of Duty 1, I believe. Because uh, there's an In the Line of Duty box set that just came out. That's pretty amazing. It's a really nice box set. Um, I have it upstairs, and I'm just, like, waiting to get into it. But I was like, well, I have eight hours of, of Nightbreed right now, so I can't. <laughs> Got so much Nightbreed. Yeah. Um, well, when you get a chance, start at, with number one, Royal Warriors. Uh, uh, I was blown away by this movie. It's a 
fucking i think someone called it a face melter on it letterbox i was like yes yes okay because it just goes like from minute one till the very end it just never stops i my thing with hong kong action movies sometimes that kind of can take me out of it is when they do kind of awkward comedy or yeah. melodrama <laughs> uh and this kind of uh skimps on both of those it's just like a lot of action and very fast paced like i mean the action is like if you watch this in the 80s you're like this is like light years ahead of american action movies and i love american yeah. action movies in the yeah. 80s but but it is just I mean, it's michelle yo it's uh hiroyuki sonata and michael wong those are the three main kind of players in the movie so michelle yo's a cop michael wong is like airport security just like an air uh, marshal and then hiroyuki sonata is like a agent i think uh like kind of like government agent and they're all on a flight together and they stop a terrorist attack and they it's an amazing sequence on the airplane they stop this like thing from happening so then they land they kind of become famous like all oh, these three uh you know people stop this terrorist attack and then the terrorist organization wants revenge on all three of them uh they're kind of like marked for death at that point it's like a <laughs> steve to reference there uh they, they uh and so then it's just them just trying to it's like them versus this terrorist organization who's like, it's it's very brutal at times. Uh, some characters die, you wouldn't expect to die. I won't say anything, but it's like, it's uh doesn't pull any punches. And then it has this amazing, there's so many amazing action sequences. There's an amazing action sequence in the, uh, in a quarry at the end. And I will just say Michelle Yeoh is involved in a chainsaw fight and drives in like an armored, like made up, like car like i don't even know this it's not it's not like anything you'd see it's not like an armored police car it's like some like weird mad max type armored car she drives in like why does the police department have this um it's it's um i was blown away by it i loved it i uh it's one of my favorite things i've seen this year um so much fun so yeah watch that as soon as you can that box set <laughs> yeah I'll, maybe i'll watch that tonight I uh, I love the idea of this armored car because there's always a budget every year, and I'd imagine like they're they're looking at the budget and they're like, well, the only discrepancy I'm seeing here is this uh this you called it a Mad Max armored car. For I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, thousand dollars, and they're like, yeah, we'd really need that. I can't tell you for what, but we will need that. <laughs> and it's funny because I I guess mild spoilers for uh, Royal Warriors, but yeah, like near the end, Michelle Yeoh goes somebody else's police department, and the guy just like pulls a tarp off this thing. He's like, here, take this, and you don't see it right away. And then she drives in the quarry, and you're like, holy shit, where'd you get that thing from? It is, it's just such oh, a good I time. I really enjoyed it. Um, another box that came out recently, I think Shout Fred did put this out, is the Tiger Cage movies. Oh, um, I almost picked this up, but I had just bought Sworn to Justice and another Cynthia Rothrock movie. And so I was like, I'm, I've spent a lot right now. And so I didn't pick <laughs> it up. I think it's sold out. So I have that, you know, fear of missing out. I should have listened, but tell me I think about it, it might still be on amazon i'm not sure but uh and it wasn't too expensive either for the three movies but i watched the first tiger cage movie um which i think some people said is maybe the weakest of the three um but it wasn't bad it just it has some of those problems with um hong kong movies that i have where it's there's some awkward comedy <laughs> and uh some weird melodrama but yeah i kind of come to accept that at this point but um I it's it's pretty brutal it's like uh, someone described it as like having jalo esque uh murder in it like it's like but it's not oh. yeah i mean there's like someone getting their head put through like a like a coat rack on a wall and like someone getting barbed wire thrown around their neck like a noose and i mean so it's pretty 
brutal. Like when it when the violence comes, it's pretty brutal. But um, it's this cop, this, this whole team of cops, uh, like a pretty I can't like six to eight of them I think, and uh, they're trying to bust up this drug operation in Hong Kong. Um, and there's a link between like they find other people in the police force who were working with I think like American uh, drug dealers and Hong Kong drug dealers, a whole bunch of corruption. Um, and it's kind of a this kind of a dark uh, police procedural, but with some amazing action. See, I have this amazing like foot uh, chase through through the city where they're trying to catch this one guy, and it's just like so crazy. It's like the things that keep escalating. It's like, oh, now he's gonna jump over a bridge, he's gonna land on this, and they keep going, and like hey, someone's hanging off a bridge, and it all just looks very dangerous. <laughs> but um, it's got great people: Simon Yam, Jackie Chung, um, a very young Donnie Yen, who I wish was in it a little more, but. I'll take any Donnie I can get. Uh, but apparently he comes back in the sequels, um, I guess, as a different character, I believe. So um, I don't know. It's a whole it's, you know, it's weird. Those I found out recently that like Hong Kong movies play very fast and loose with their sequels. Like the In the Line of Duty is a great example, too. It's like those movies are called Line of Duty, but I think none of them have any connection to each other. <laughs> so um, it's like a Italian, like Evil Dead situation where they just call everything like, you know, yeah, <laughs> whatever. And it's like it's not. But um yeah, Tiger Cage was good. I didn't like it as much as Royal Warriors, but um, yeah, sh- pretty surprisingly brutal. Again, like people are getting picked off. Where I'm like, I didn't see that coming. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it goes pretty hard. I'm excited to watch it or two in that uh, set as well. Um, but yeah, I've been watching. I think I mentioned this recently on their podcast. Like, I'm like, why do I watch anything but like Asian cinema? Because it's like some of the best stuff in the world and especially Hong Kong stuff. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I'm so I was so excited when you said that because I was like, yes, Matt, yes, because uh, I I love cinema from Hong Kong, Japan, Korea. And when you start like finding your flavor, you're like, I'm into Hong Kong right now. There's so many good ones. And yeah, you are going to have like some melodrama because like the cop's partner gets killed a lot <laughs> or you know, a weird love interest part where you're like, yeah. I guess. You have to have something because you can't have people dying constantly because then I'm a psychopath if that's all I want to watch. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah. but like I've I've come across so m- I was watching one called I think it was Hong Kong Godfather. And there's a part where uh, these people are raiding and they, they always have machetes as weapons and things. You know, it's always weapons. <laughs> you're like, oh, God, this is terrible. Yeah, why? <laughs> yeah. And there was a kid like running up to his grandpa who had been murdered and a guy just picks him up and kicks him in half through a window. Just like and you like what you rewind. This happens a lot in these movies. You rewind it to be like, where's the edit? And at some right. point you have to, come <laughs> to the point of like, I guess that was the end of him. I don't know. <laughs> this is wild. Yeah, and the st- the car stunts, everything seems so dangerous. It's just uh, yes. a whole level of like, when people fall, they don't just fall; they land on their shoulder on top of a bench. You know, you're just like, oh, oh my. Yeah. Oh, there was a few of those, and I can't remember which movie now, but people would fall, and it would just looked so painful. There was uh, one in Tiger Cage where I can't remember who it was was like, you know, like when you're walking around, it's almost like a like a, a hand rest or something it goes like yay high or like kind of a guardrail and you could kind of there's like a middle part so you could <laughs> there's a top and a middle you could kids always like sit on the middle part and kind of go in between so they push the guy in like the middle and then one kicks him through and he's like a pretty big like adult man and it's like it looks super uncomfortable to get pushed to kick through oh, the yeah. middle of one of those like guardrails stuff cool. like that where you're just like oh and like i go back and like look and i'm like how they do that was there like no it's just like they just did stuff <laughs> 
probably very dangerous but you know <laughs> did you see that documentary about the stunt work that that people did in in those types of films it came out like last two years i think i don't i don't think so do you remember what it's called oh, i wish i had the title right now i will find it and um i'll put in when you post this i'll put it below for people that are like okay. what is he talking about it's really <laughs> good and it touches on exactly what you're talking about where they're just like we just did it if someone was like jumped off two stories onto your back you're, if you were a stunt person you're just like okay <laughs> you just didn't just like oh no like yeah i, I mean the results are things <laughs> you've never seen on cinema anywhere else yeah, I I think there's something in entire H two where somebody just literally just drops, like jumps straight down from like a second story apartment in one cut. There's no edit, like one shot jumps there straight down. I'm like, your knees would be like uh, I jump like down a couple stairs. So I'm like, ooh, you know, and this like just jumps off us and just lands in the street and it's like I'm fine. Um, it's amazing. I mean, I'm it seems very dangerous, but it's all for our entertainment, I guess. And as long as no one got killed, they're okay. <laughs> But um, it just they were like, what safety regulations? What are those? But uh, oh, I don't tiger, tiger Cage. I think all the Tiger Cage movies are directed by Yuan Wu Ping, famous yeah. choreographer and director. I, that was one of the main reason I picked it up. I was like, I got to see more Yuan Wu Ping movies because he's amazing. So, um, yeah, it's I it, good stuff lately. I don't know. Just a lot of good stuff. So um, but that was the only two. Everything else I've watched has been like for podcast or things like yeah. that. So. Um, I just barely crammed these in because I was like, Matt's going to ask me if I've seen anything. And it's like, it's all been for episodes. So I was like, OK, I'll grab well, the watch stack. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Um, but now we can talk about Nightbreed. And <laughs> very excited. Um, you know what? I, you know where I'm going to start with this? I know there's probably a lot of ways we could start. I want to know uh, about your relationship with Clive Barker. Like if you're a big Clive Barker fan, like reading his stuff. Uh, or were you watching the movies first and then going back and getting the books or any of that? Yeah. So I'm, not, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm not much of a reader, but you know, growing yeah. up in the video store, the image of Pinhead was like, what is that? You know, and it, it left a huge impression. Hellraiser two is still one of my favorite movies of all time, not just horror. And so I was like, okay, I learned this guy's name, Clive Barker. Of course, the box had that Stephen King quote where I've seen the future of horror. It's Clive Barker. So I was like, oh, well, that creepy guy thinks that this guy's even creepier. So I better <laughs> check this out. And um, so that was like where I started with Clive Barker. And then um, I, I was in high school and there was a comic book day. And a friend of mine, uh, Megan, she went to the comic book day. And the book that you got for going was Clive Barker's art. And so oh. she got it. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a really nice book. And she got it and she opened it. And it's a lot of, um, say, a giant member coming out of a well and spraying somebody. Oh, Can I yeah. say it that way? Sure. And yeah. uh, a lot of this type of artwork because of who Clive Barker is and his interests and, in, you know, extremes and, and his sexuality and everything. And so it was like, she's like, I can't have this in my house. And so she gave it to me. And, um, and so I was flipping through it and I just love his his art, the which we see a lot of in this film, um, the paintings, of the walls and everything. He just has oh, a very yeah. distinct style. And I and I just was like, oh, this is incredible. And then um, just the the line delivery, even the directing of Hellraiser, I was just like, I, I like what this guy's doing. And so that to me was like enough for Clive Barker. I never 
read the books. For me, it was all the movies and the art books. And I have a couple different books I've gotten over time. Once people saw I had the Clive Barker like artwork collection, then they're like, here's a book on Nightbreed and here's another thing. And so I, I've collected things over the years. Um, but I also had the VHS tape at home, which I think really a lot of people chimed in and were like, oh, this guy clearly loves this because this was at a time when the tapes were like 88 bucks a tape or whatever. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I almost forget about that ever being a thing. <laughs> it's like... day, yeah, that's why they rented them. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that was my my history with Clive Barker. And then movies, like, because I'm old, like, the they came out, like, not the Hellraiser 1 and 2, but I saw Hellraiser 3 in theaters on to five i think um i saw nightbreed uh not in the theater but like uh lord of illusions you know like oh, i really anticipated his stuff as it was coming out so so my relationship with it was was from like the beginning and you know i watched that theatrical cut so many times that like <laughs> by the we'll get to the history of where it's at now but like I had to be deprogrammed in a way sort of because like <laughs> love that version. And then they're like, that's not the one to love. And I go, Oh man. Okay. Well I'll be flexible, I guess. But yeah. What about yourself? What's your history with old CB as I like to call him. Oh, buddy CB. Um, oh, it's funny because yeah, I, 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 I've only read, let's say for his, his work, his written work. I was curious. I thought, I know you weren't a big reader. I'm not a big reader either, but I had no shame there. I I've read I've read the original Hellraiser uh short story the something heart hellbound heart is that uh, yeah and uh it's very good um I was like oh cool short story I can do that <laughs> I was like oh it's very good um there's a couple comics I think that came out um that were Hellraiser comics that were actually pretty good and um very graphic as you imagine <laughs> um and I, my uh thing with Hel Clive Barker is I saw Hellraiser way too young by accident because I was homesick from school and was like left my own devices. And I think we we didn't get like movie channels. It was like a free HBO weekend or free HBO something. And I remember going through the channels and stopping on Hellraiser and being absolutely terrified. <laughs> like I was like, I have never seen imagery like this before in a movie Um and it was one of those movies where I was like, that was too scary. And then, but years later, I was like, I'll go back to it. It was like facing my fears years later. It was like, I'm going to watch Hellraiser. And now I love Hellraiser. It's one of my favorite horror movies. Um, and other than that, I, I like, I mean, I like Clive Barker because I think he's got a very unique, um, his unique voice in horror. And I feel like his stuff feels so otherworldly and so imaginative that it's, it's, I know, no knock on anybody else, but like, his stuff feels like, it's like, where could this come from? Like, I, I love Stephen King stuff too, but that feels like of our world most of the time, if that makes sense. There's like, he well, he roots it in like, you know, pretty like a normal town, small town, then some scary shit happens. Clive Barker stuff just like departs, I feel like, from like our world and goes into these other crazy things. And it feels so um, uh, just untethered from reality and, and scarier to me for some reason, I think, because it's so out there that it's just like, I'm just like, where did this come from? <laughs> you know? And, and yeah. <laughs> I think that you say that really well. I think that the, the difference is like Stephen King is like, here's the reveal. This is the evil. And in Clive Barker's, he's like, here's the evil. And there's a door behind that. And that goes somewhere. And then this hallway is going to lead somewhere else. And it's uh -huh. like, this becomes this vast universe of things that like, 
he's not going to explain all of it. There's just things, some things that just exist. And you're just like, well, this is very unnerving. Like, <laughs> yeah, I need to know some limitations. And he's like, it's just fathomless pain and suffering. And you're just like, oh, gosh. Okay, well, <laughs> sweet dreams, I suppose, Mr. Barker. Uh, thank you. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. And like his artwork is amazing, but it's like it's terrifying images where I'm like, this stuff will haunt my dreams. Like, you know, it's like... And he's so talented is the thing. Like, there's the writing, but then like the painting, like I've seen his sketchbooks and stuff for things that I have, but like the, the actual paintings, these enormous, mm-hmm. they're unbelievable, like classically trained type of things where you're just like, how do you even paint light like that on things? Like, and then there's the depth of field and it's just, and you, you hear him talk and he's just this raspy guy that chain smoked all these years. And he's just uh-huh. like, yeah, that's what I'm into. Leather daddies and fathomless universes. And you're like, okay, well, let's see it. Go ahead. <laughs> I was shocked when I first heard him talk. I think it was on like the Bravo 100 scariest movie moments. And then he was one yeah. of the talking heads. And I, I remember one of the better talking heads because he had good things to say. But yeah, I was like, oh, wow, he's he smoked a bit. Hasn't he? Because oh, yeah, he has that very distinct voice. Um, But uh, yeah, he seems like a real character. I don't know. I can't like, figure him out. Um, I will. I think it's a shame he only directed four movies or three movies because it's Hellraiser nightbreed lord of illusions yeah did he not did he just like write that midnight meat train movie was that not his directing I don't think he didn't direct that that was um oh god i forget his name but he just did a movie that i watched that uh has oh my gosh oh. this is the He's guy the japanese Ops director uh rai huel kitamura, kitamura. yeah there's a movie that just came out with like uh steven dorf and um the dude from autopsy of jane doe what's his name gosh the price God. we pay yes and it's uh oh email emil hirsch and steven dorf. Hirsch, okay. thank you yeah and it's really rough um oh. <laughs> take some weird turns the ultimate payoff is i wouldn't say don't watch it it is fascinating but it does feel like he kind of stopped creating a style kitamura in like 2006 is what it kind oh. of felt <laughs> okay no. so yeah just the three which is always surprising to me but um i guess well, after... happens every time pretty i know much. i was gonna say the only the only one that really gets out uh as, i think intact is hellraiser and then after that it it's does, uh... but they the studio said that he couldn't use the coil soundtrack because the band coil created the original soundtrack for the movie and the the studio was like this is not commercial enough which like what <laughs> horror soundtrack was commercial except for shocker like i mean like you know when they're doing like <laughs> an actual score who's buying that if it's just chains oh, and, right. bones and stuff but i mean the coil hellraiser it's called the box themes you can get it i have it on vinyl and cd and cassette um and i'm such a dork but uh but it's good it's great and i wish that there was a version that he could retool like they got to do with with this film because I would love to have those things combined. Cause that was the other thing is like, once I found out my favorite band coil had done the soundtrack to a Clive Barker movie, Hellraiser. I was just like, that's just another level that I love this dude so mm-hmm. much. And then you find out like by listening to them talk, like, Oh, this guy knew this guy from theater back in the day. And like, they were mimes and stuff. <laughs> this, this is crazy. Like, right. Cool history, but Whoa. Yeah, I did not even know. I know that about there was another score that got rejected for Hellraiser. So that's interesting. So that probably 
always seemed bad at the time, but then he went to go make Nightbreed, and then it's like, oh, it gets worse. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, it's 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 wild what he gets away with for the time and then also wild what was rejected you know because it's like right. he he wants to reflect a lot of different things in the, in the films which is awesome a lot of things that he's saying in there that can be extrapolated to like outsiders which could be people at the time who are homosexual to like it's just um the wanted desires the idea of introducing like snm concepts and things it's just like he brought a lot of stuff to the forefront that a lot of, a lot of people weren't ready to see oh, yeah and, uh, yeah <laughs> you know, it's uh it's very cool because of who he was you know it wasn't like some outsider like you know like a sports dude that's just like i heard about these freaks are doing this stuff let's expose them he's just like no i know this guy that's just like this and maybe it's me <laughs> like here's a movie <laughs> oh okay Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I guess when we get into the history of Nightbreed, it's crazy oh, history. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask about your history with Nightbreed. If they're like your the fandom, I guess, because you said you yes. watched a theatrical cut a lot. Um, so it was something you rented at first and then you just kept, I'm guessing, renting over and over. <laughs> well, yeah, I just pulled it off the shelf. I was notorious for people coming into our video store and things not being where they should be because I had them and Nightbreed was <laughs> those. I just like you touched on Clive Barker and his his lyricism and his scripts. I love that dark poetic stuff that he writes for Doug Bradley to say, or in this movie, the way that he has Cronenberg delivering lines. It's just it's such a creepy, evil character. And then what the monsters are saying in it, I absolutely loved. And as a kid who like never really felt like he fit in a movie where the monsters are the good people and they found a place to hang out, but then it's like the normies come and ruin it. I was like, what, what's not to like here? Like, this is what I would, I would love Midian. And, uh, and so I, you know, and I love Cronenberg too. So then you put him in the movie and I go, oh my gosh, I can't get away from this thing. And I watched it over and over and over. I committed the dialogue to memory. That's just really weird to watch the theatrical one. I mean, the, the directorial one now, um, the director's cut, because it's out of order for me and oh, different. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm struggling. But also, <laughs> you know, we'll touch on all the things that make it great. So I would, I just felt it was a cozy watch for me and I just would watch it uh, all the time and it had all the monsters and all the things that I wanted. Um, and, and I loved, you know, his art. And so I would love to try to draw that stuff and, you know, we'll get into, to more of that, but it was one of those, like, I've probably seen it way more than a lot of people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, and this is very different because I've seen it now twice. This is my second oh. time. Seeing it. So right. I, it, it was funny because yeah, I wanted you back on the show because it's been a, a year, literally. I think we did that Tech Chainsaw Massacre episode. We ranked them in May of last year. So okay. I was like, wow. it's been way too long since Dirk's been here. And I was trying to do what I usually do, which is stalk someone's letterboxed. Uh, and I don't I, think you. <laughs> I'm sorry. You bleep the Zerbit out there, a raspberry. I, um, <laughs> I haven't been on the letterbox in over a year and my, yeah, that's... my renewal just happened. And I was like, damn it. Cause I was going to just like, not be, I'm just bad at, at, it's not something that I use. And so I, I'm, I apologize for the 30 people that follow me on there, but I just am never on there. I'm so sorry. I didn't, I did not realize Dirk was not a letterbox person. And I go on, cause I usually am like, what is Dirk? What does he love? What are, what are his five-star movies? Cause like we can work from there and you just haven't, you just not much going on there. So, but I was like, well, he gave Nightbreed five stars. And it's like, I've gave seen everything. Nightbreed. 
five stars at first because I wasn't going to rate anything. And, and I only joined because my old producer was like, you got to be on Letterboxd. Everyone's on there. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll get on there. And then I instantly was like, now I have a chore every day to like go on. It's just not part of my routine. It's not how I work. And so I just, uh, I've, I've fought against it the entire time. So I apologize, but. I mean, I you're probably watching movies in a healthy way. If you're just watching movies to watch movies. And I, I, I mean, all I really do is log stuff. I barely review anything. It's that's more for great, me to, though. that's very useful. I mean, I used to write it down like in a notebook, like, you know, yeah. and as a teenager, because um, I wanted to remember just what did I see, what I think of it, um, mm -hmm. which is mostly what I use it for. For that, it's good. But you can see some people are just like, I don't want to think about logging stuff. I just want to watch stuff and move on. Yeah, it's hard. I don't know what the resistance is. I understand the tools like you're saying, and I think that's fantastic. And I wish that I used it that way, but I never did. <laughs> so it's like, all right, well. I think you also have a better memory than I do. I feel like I'm just very forgetful. So I'm always like, what did I want? Like, what was that that I watched? And what did I think of it? Um, it's helped me many times. Where I'm like, oh, I did watch that three years ago and I forgot. But uh, but yeah, I didn't. I, there wasn't much to look at on Dirk's letterbox. But I was like, hey, he loves Nightbreed. I like Nightbreed. I know Nightbreed has a very interesting backstory and how it was created. Um, so I was like, let's do Nightbreed. So um, I don't know which cut I first saw a few years ago. I don't. I, it may have been theatrical. It may have been this cut. Um, watching the director's cut, which was released by Scream Factory a long time ago now, I think. Um, that seemed like the version I'd seen. Um, the only thing I could think of that seemed extra was that there was way more monsters in this this time around. Unless I forgot. Maybe that's it's like there was just monsters in the background that don't even speak. Like they just did a great makeup effect on a right. cool monster, which I appreciate. But I was like, maybe I'd watch the theatrical, <laughs> but um, it didn't feel that different. Uh, but yeah, I still I still enjoy Nightbreed. I don't I think for me uh, at two hours, it feels a little bit um uh, unwieldy, like a little all over the place. It's kind of messy in a way that I appreciate, though. I'm saying messy and like not in a way of like, oh, this is a real, you know, it kind of it had to put that together. So it's, you know, but he he has a lot of ideas in Nightbreed. I feel like he wants to touch on, which I think is why it's a little bit all over the place for me. But um, uh, I think it comes together very strong in the end. I think it all kind of pays off. And I do love all the monster design because it's all yeah. practical makeup effects and it's incredible like yeah, you see some of two seconds like there's a woman with like her hand sticking down out of her face i don't know why but i like it <laughs> it looks cool i'm like oh there she is um there's just random stuff like that where i'm like oh look at that person um so that's always neat but i could i could totally understand if you were a kid who like loved monsters or felt like kind of like an outcast this movie would speak to you um very much so because i feel like yeah like monster kids like oh the monsters get to be the good guys who were getting picked on like you know and the the basically the uh crazy villagers uh are the you know really painted as the bad guys <laughs> like the monsters just trying to live they're just trying to be out yeah. here yeah and the real monster of the movie is not a monster it's a serial killer murderer david cronenberg yes uh who's really good playing a crazy killer it's like it's he's scary in this he's like Icy, cold. Yeah. Sorry, I just did a bunch of stuff there. But if you want to go ahead and jump in. No, I think that's what this episode's going to be because this is a movie that's a bunch of pieces that have been shifted or moved around like a puzzle. And um, <laughs> and so that's, I think, the proper way to talk about it. I think the one thing as, as we're talking about this Frankenstein of a film is the thing that I think that is the, 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 the stitches that hold it together 
or an overall gauze, if you will, over to the top of the wounds of pieces that have been shifted around, um, is the Danny Elfman score. And I think that without that score, it, it, there would be parts of this that I would find unwatchable. But because he has such a strength in in the comp uh, being a composer, that is just like it's the perfect like swirling string parts for things, and like it's just very fantastical and fantasy oriented in the right ways for Midian. And I think that that like. I really appreciated that more so than previous watches with this two hour cut. Cause I was like, Oh, this is, this is really interesting because of the score. And without that, it would just be like, Oh, all right. Well, didn't need this scene, but. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if you love the movie, I would imagine you want more of it. It's almost like a, could be like a fun, just like hangout monster movie. <laughs> it's like, um, if, yeah, uh, if you just want to, Sorry, there's stuff I'd get, like the musical performance of hers. Like, I don't need that in the movie, but, about like, <laughs> but you know, it's there. And I'm, you know, she's wonderful and they shot it. So, yeah, show it to me. Sure. But <laughs> I'd already I'd already forgotten about that part. So I guess it didn't really didn't stick with me. But um, the Danny Alpha score is great. I was shocked. I saw his name calling the credits. I did not remember he was the composer. And I was like, oh, wow, Danny Elfman score. Okay, that, that feels like it would fit very well with this crazy fantastic movie about monsters like i feel like that seems like up his alley and it is i thought it was a very good score i was kind of paying more attention to it i think because i saw his name and was like keen in more to like oh yeah this is a really good score um yeah it's i, I will say so back to david cronenberg really quick i won't talk about yes. him because i the first time i watched it that really stuck with me because um there's a scene i don't know if it shifted around but in the two in the two hour director's cut it's early on where um a killer in a mask, who I guess at that time we don't know was David Cronenberg. Spoilers for Nightbreed. Talking about the house. The first in the house. house. Oh my god. Yes. The scene in the house is brutal. And it's very... It scared me the first time I saw it because it felt... That family feels so real. I've never seen such realistic type actors. These are like real Midwestern type of folks. Like, it, they don't even look like they're actors. And I was like... And they're just having a normal night at home in the suburban house. And then like a murderer just comes in in a crazy mask and just kills them and it's it was terrifying i was like oh wow okay what is this movie um and then it goes back to like craig sheffer admitting the monsters it, it almost feels like two movies battling with each other especially at first until it kind of comes together but you're like wait am i a different movie about a serial killer in a mask a slasher movie or is this a monster movie but it's very effective i thought i was like that scene definitely the first time I saw it really kind of freaked me out. I was like, I, I think I didn't expect it. I was like, what is this? Yeah. Well, that's the, one of the big difference between this cut and the theatrical is the original was cut to be like a serial killer movie. So it was oh, way okay. more straightforward because the studios were like, why is this happening? There's this flip flopping of things that's going on. What is this? And so they took it and reshaped it to be like a slasher film. And so, and it, I, you know, growing up on that, it worked really well. I still got all the pieces I wanted. I got some monsters. I didn't know there was more. I got Cronenberg <laughs> uh, being super creepy and scary, and I loved him to death. And uh, and then, yeah, like you're saying that that stalking sequence in the house with the little boy who's like, you know, I heard the the bad man, and she's like, I'll go to bed. <laughs> and then, oh dear. Um, <laughs> and they all die. He's he at one point he's like he's murdered like six families. He says or oh, something. Yeah, yeah. You know, when he later on, he talks about how he's just been murdering the breeders. And it's just, you're just like, oh, my gosh, like this is. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it's very dark. 
Yes. Yeah, okay. They don't show the little boy in the house getting murdered, thankfully, but they show the parents getting killed. It's like, yeah, yeah but the, the implication of what's happening is like, oh, my God. Um, if I was a little kid, saw that. I think I would just I'd probably pass away before he touched me because I'd be so scared. <laughs> I would just I would just gone for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would have either like ran and jumped out a window or just stood there in shock and passed away because <laughs> I like, yeah. <laughs> Love. um Clive's artistic eye in this movie, though, and and working with uh, the cinematographer. Oh gosh, I can't forget that. Do you have the name? I'm looking it up. It is Robin Vigen. Yeah. Don't uh, yet. <laughs> so the um, in that sequence where he he offs the lady first, and then the fruit rolls through the blood and rolls into the hallway, and yeah. then you see the kid's POV down into the stairs as he steps in, and you see the little pass the fruit have made in the, from the blood, and the, it's just the details of it are just so, like, and maybe it's because I saw it a million times. That's the hard thing about, like, living with a movie for so long and, and then seeing someone seeing it later is it's hard for me to decide, like, is this really good, or did I just watch this so many times that I actually love <laughs> Hard to say. I don't know. I'm unreliable <laughs> in that in that manner, but I'm happy to less. No, no, it's still it's still good. You're still you are still correct. I uh I, I got again, I did get scared by that jump scare again because it's a, a very typical horror movie jump scare where someone like opens a door, she opens like the freezer door on the top, and I knew it was coming. It still got me when yeah, when Cronenberg's in that mask is behind the freezer door and she closes it and then stabs her like ah god, I was like um it's a great sequence like it's an amazing sequence like a slasher sequence in a movie that is not a slasher movie um but then goes to craig sheffer and his weird dreams about midian and uh, uh, it's a great sequence i love this sequence because it's the you just no other movies were like here's all the monsters just throwing monsters right. at the screen and you're just like True what and it's a crazy dream sequence that was choreographed by a classically trained like dancer it's um it's oh, it gives me chills when i see it because i'm just like i remember watching it and being like we don't have to wait till the end like why we get all the monsters right now like we sh <laughs> we're showing monster faces in the the nightbreed font in the beginning of the movie so i was like okay oh uh, we're getting that and then we get it right away and i'm like okay great we're we're getting it all i love it yeah, he's not holding back on the monsters. Uh, he just gives them to you. I forgot how it just shows him probably right away. It's almost like a soap opera credit sequence or something. It's like, here's all the faces of all the players. And he's like, here's all the monsters. Um, it's pretty great. I yeah, it, that, The way the camera kind of flies around during that sequence yes. is so much fun. Um, that's I was watching this going, God, this is so like uh, imaginative and creative and like... Um, that's, I'm so glad he got to make it. I'm so sad that he had a horrible time with like getting it taken away from him. But yeah. I'm like, the fact that he got to any of this is like just wild to me. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so let's just touch on that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the original film that, that hit theaters is 102 minutes. It was recut to make it a slasher film, right? So then the Cabal cut, which is 144 minutes, uh, was. Mm -hmm. And also Cabal was the Italian title for the movie when it came out, which is also confusing. So let's just add <laughs> that into the mix. Okay. Um, so there was a PAL work print tape that was found in Clive Barker's office. And they, that tape went to Sarah and Phil Stokes of clivebarker.info. They uploaded it, digitized it, and then showed it at Horror Hound in 2009. And it wasn't called the Cabal Cut yet. And then in 2012, Russell Charrington takes that footage 
and work print tapes from the U.S. cut using the second version of the script and Clive's book Cabal, Clive's book Cabal, and used that as a guide. And then there's seven versions of that. <laughs> then there's an extended VHS cut that's 159 minutes. Um, then the director's cut, which is 120 minutes, which is what we're talking about tonight, that contains footage from 20th Century Fox. They edited it using original film elements, and some audio from the Cabal cut is also in this, all done with the original director, Clive Barker, which is crazy. Uh, there was also a 2017 Cabal cut, which is extremely limited, uh, from an HD and work print that used some footage that's not available for the previous Cabal cuts. And then in 2019, Arrow released basically the same version that you and I saw, basically the same features with some new commentaries. Uh, and the director's cut, we both saw, the, there's there's a little, um, what do you call that, epilogue, I guess, at the beginning of the film with Clive. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah. they talk about how there's 40 new minutes of footage, but the movie's only 20 minutes longer because they use some stuff they replaced to create a stronger narrative flow and increase the practical creatures that we wanted to see <laughs> so, the biggest differences for those listening still are uh <laughs> you see decker kill and decapitate narcisse um there's a mutated ashbury that kills Iger, and decker isn't resurrected in this one if you watch the theatrical one at the end you saw decker cronenberg be resurrected by the evil priest. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that'll answer you which one you saw, because that's what I saw over and over and over and over. That and over. I have no memory of, so I don't think that was the one I saw. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. And also, uh, in this, Lori kills herself due to not wanting Boone to leave her, so he brings her back as Nightbreed. That didn't happen in the other version. Oh. Did she just die? In there, there was none of that happened in the... Just none of that happens. I, at oh. least it wasn't <laughs> one that we had at my video store i don't know if you know i i have <laughs> no memory of that happening and i've seen it so many times so who, who knows i also <laughs> misremembered um an entire film franchise this year that i hadn't seen in 30 years but so it's possible but that is a that's basically everything i also did take note on some things that we uh both watched this movie neil gaiman is in this movie did you know that oh, i did not know that no <laughs> so Neil Gaiman is in it and Peter Atkins, who wrote Hellraiser 2, 3, and Bloodline. They're extras in the nightclub scene, and mm -hmm. you can see them, uh, but you have to be looking for Neil Gaiman in, in that uh, era. And in the hotel room, the corpses, you know, from the nightclub. Okay, yeah, yeah. So there's Craig Spector and John Skip, who wrote Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Oh. And... Uh, <laughs> Paul Jones plays a werewolf. I did not see him when I was looking. I was looking for a werewolf, but I don't know also <laughs> what Parker's version of a werewolf would look like. Um, but he's a special effects artist who's worked in Spiral, uh, Ginger Stamps, Silent Hill, and Wrong Turn. And then the last one is the hotel manager is Tony Gardner, who's worked on many films like everything from Thriller to Bad Grandpa. So there's a <laughs> lot. There's wow. a lot. Yeah, a lot of extras in this that I. I didn't know existed and probably because those scenes weren't actually in the original cut. Right. But then Clive was like, you cut all my buddies out. <laughs> and so those were the people that he like put back <laughs> in there, which I absolutely love. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much going on. It's easy to miss these people. And plus, what cut, you know, were they in? What cut were they not in? I, mean, uh, I, I actually have the old uh, Snapcase uh, DVD of Nightbreed as well. Because uh, I think I grabbed it like a secondhand store and I was like, well, this would be good to have because I don't think the the old cut is on the Scream Factory Blu-ray. I think it's just the director's cut. That's right. Um, yeah. 
And I like having, even if it's like the inferior cut, I still kind of want to have it. So, uh, which I meant to watch. We did this. I did not have time to watch both cuts, but, um, I do have it. I'll be curious if I go back at some, I do kind of want to go back and like watch the other cut to see the differences now. Um, so I don't know. It's, uh, it is interesting that they, it's funny because it's the intro too, where I didn't even choose to watch it, but it was like, here's Clyde Barker. And it I know who the other guy yeah. it starts. Uh, I was like, okay, well that was interesting. And yeah, they're just talking about how much of a process this was. And yeah, it's like 40 minutes of footage, but only 20 minutes longer. Um, I had a funny one thing recently too, where I didn't pick the intro to play, but I watched the primal rage, uh, blu-ray from vinegar syndrome yeah, yeah and that one just plays the director's i didn't know there was a director's intro and that director's intro he kind of the the tone of that one is like well i'm doing one of these i don't know why but uh, he's like also like i feel like this movie that's cool he's almost like i don't know why you'd like this movie but here i <laughs> it's very funny but if you have that it's just something to look for but uh it just reminded me of that where it just starts and it's like um just like oh i'm doing an intro but i don't know who needs this is that the vinegar syndrome one or is that uh, this is I don't even know what company this is. <laughs> that, that's the movie. That's the movie for sure. But uh, before, um, before this is from Dark Force Superstore. So, oh, OK. Oh, I yeah. remember Dark Force. Yeah, I don't know if they're still chugging along, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, I just thought it was funny that just started I was like, oh, OK, there's Clyde Parker. I was happy to have the the intro in the context, but uh, um, yeah, it's I. So I was going to say, also, I'm curious what your thoughts are. We both like David Cronenberg, it sounds like. Uh, yes. Craig Sheffer and Anne Bobby as like our two leads, romantic leads. Um, this is one of the things in the movie where I'm not quite as sold on them. Like, I don't hate them or anything. I just yeah. don't think they are the strongest leads. I don't want to offend you on any of this movie, but I don't, I don't, I've only seen it twice. So I don't know, maybe they'll grow on me. But I've, I, I just thought they're you know, not to me, they're not the greatest. It's funny. I was laughing at Anne Bobby when she's first in the, um, in Midian and she's kind of walking around and she seems unfazed by almost everything that's happening. There's insane stuff happening. And she's kind of like, Oh, interesting. I'm like, what? Like I would be running and screaming the other direction. And she's like, sees crazy shit happening. And she's just like, Oh, that's weird. Like, I just thought it just made me laugh this time. Yeah. If there's, I mean, there's two things I never really cared about the movie, and that's the leads in the oh. film. They that's not the interesting part for me. Um, the it's definitely the Clive Barker creatures and things, and I know that I should care about those two, but I just, <laughs> I just never did. I thought Cronenberg was the best. Um, I absolutely love. Um, where did I write it down? One second. Um, I had so many weird notes on this movie. I <laughs> just went crazy because like, um, oh, Narcisse. He's like my favorite character of all time. The man that has the thumb knives that cuts his face off. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you who your favorite like uh, monster oh, or character was. <laughs> he's by far. He is having the best time. He's <laughs> just like chewing up scenery. He gets to cut like his face off, but not his face. He actually just cuts off the rest of his head, which is yes. like. So yeah, cool. that's it. A... It's a bold like, look. <laughs> he's like the comic relief in the movie. He like <laughs> he gets to drive the car and act all wild. He interrupts Boone's moon ceremony by lighting a cigarette and then like apologizing. It's just like <laughs> he's for me the best part, and they are fine. Um, <laughs> you're right. Oh, it's Hugh Ross. Sorry, is the actor that played Narcisse and with the thumb blades. Yeah, it's just 
It's so good. There's a couple nerd facts I just wanted to throw out there is there was a um, electronic band in the early 90s called Radioactive Goldfish. And they had a song. <laughs> Amazing name. <laughs> they had a song called LSD is the Bomb. And, and uh, in that song, there's the sample. Uh, this is not lithium, my friend. Like you're on some kind of bland quality hallucinogen. Looks like you're on a bad trip, old buddy. And that's from this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's given the crazy drug by uh, by, by uh, David Cronenberg. And then the other <laughs> one, which is something that I sampled, or actually there's two. So uh, F the law, I'll say, as my daughter is just uh, three feet away from me. It's <laughs> by the Prodigy on their song, Their Law, which is oh, uh, fantastic yeah. on their second album. And then... I sampled when I was trying to have a music career as a teenager. Uh, everything is true. God's an astronaut. Oz is over the radio. Uh, everything is true. God's an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow. Midian is where the monsters live and you came to die. That's a quote that I played so many times. It's like stuck in my brain and something that I would say and people would be like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, is everyone <laughs> not watching Nightbreed all the time? What's happening? <laughs> Why aren't you all watching Nightbreed all the time? <laughs> it's, it's upsetting. Like, They're not all watching Nightbreed. <laughs> yeah, I just loved like hearing samples from movies um, in the music I was listening to. And oh, it, yeah. every time I just go, oh, they've seen Nightbreed. They, they must <laughs> love it. It was always jumped right to that. Not like they just saw it and were like, well, that's a cool line. I'll take that. <laughs> right, right. There was a lot of that in like the 90s and the 2000s. I feel like it's like, Maybe I don't. They I don't think they do as much anymore. Like samples are a big deal. Like sampling yeah. a piece of dialogue, or yeah, I don't know. Like um, that was. I always get so excited too, especially when I recognized it. Um, I was like, oh, I know what that movie. You know, I know that's from. Or um, yeah. So okay, that's good. <laughs> that's yeah, that. like as we're talking about the crazy monsters that uh, that she's seeing as she descends into Midian, which is like I was saying, it just keeps going. It's just yeah. Clive Barker being like this fathomless pit of monsters. And I just, it's so great when you get into the main chamber kind of of it with all the like walkways and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everywhere she looks, there's like someone whose head is where their stomach is. And like, you're just like, oh my gosh. They've got a hand out of their face. They've got, yeah. 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 And it's just like, she's just like, oh, uh, okay. Well, oops, sorry. Didn't mean to bother you. And uh, <laughs> she's at the grocery like, store and she's like, yeah. oops, sorry. I don't mean to, you know, I just don't want to get in your way. <laughs> one of them draws a curtain, which is like my favorite that they're just like a little yeah. privacy, please. Yeah, please. Down here, don't uh, Google me. We, yeah, Normie, <laughs> get out of here. And then we're introduced to I call them Eel Guy forever, but Leroy Grom, who's played by Tony Bluto, and he just has eels that can crawl out of his belly. Like, it's yeah, just... oh yeah, that guy's <laughs> a real character. I was like, I forgot how hard he goes for it, especially by the end. Uh, it he... is amazing and he looks like something that crawled out of a tim burton movie at the time like he's just oh, like yeah, he could have been a beetlejuice character like, yeah he's like uh, can i be a nightbreed and they're like oh sure where'd you come from and he's like we're filming beetlejuice next door and he said no eel bellies in this movie so we're like all right yeah <laughs> all right get over here eel belly here <laughs> like Leroy grom i just love they name him too like why would you call eel belly guy leroy grom like it's just yeah just so like into the details and the minutia of it it's just great that's yeah i'm looking now at character names and i'm like i don't know any of these i i'm sure these names were said but they don't it's not like they're very obvious like it's not like it's a oh, i'm trying to think of you know pinhead or like uh needles or it's not like it's not like the obvious character characteristic and then they're just naming them after that they give them just like 
it's one guy's named Peliquin Kinski. Uh, like, I, you know, yeah, I, Peliquin is one I didn't know forever because, like, pre internet, like, I was just like, what's the red dude's name? And they oh, don't yeah. just call him the red dude, which is how I would know. So I'm like, like looking at the credits at the end of the VHS and being like, I don't know. I don't know. No one calls him this in the whole film. Nobody's right. like, hey, Peliquin, can you not bite <laughs> you... people? Never. <laughs> Never said. He passed or, the butter peliquin. Yeah, it's like they don't. Uh, he might be my favorite. I just laugh because I think this time I was like, oh, he look, he reminds me of Mac tonight. If you remember the old McDonald's. Oh no, you're talking about the Moonface guy. Moonface guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like well, that's uh, not peliquin. I don't think is it. Is it not peliquin? No, I think peliquin's the red guy. But isn't he red with like a moon-shaped no, face? Uh, no, Pel uh, peliquin has like the dread. Uh, like he's got like these. Uh, Oh, you are correct. Okay, then I don't know what the other guy's name is. Hang on. <laughs> I was called the Moonface is what I always called him. Never knew his name. I, I am still Googling. I knew this would happen at some point. We confused on what monster is what. But, um, oh, he's Kinski. I would never have guessed. Uh, Kinski. Yeah. So I love how he has like this sexy photo on <laughs> it's like the first thing on Google. <laughs> oh, my God. Posing with his knife. Up. Oh, no, so yeah. Ki oh, wow. Here's a him and Jay Leno side by side. I just thought of I had just seen a picture of uh, the old McDonald's mascot for their late night Mac tonight. And I thought he looked like him, like the guy with the, the moon uh, yeah. face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, moon face. That's why I called face. the moon face forever. Yeah. Also, I love that some of them look like, oh, because you died that way. That's why you look like this. And then other ones, they're just like, no, they have goldfish eyes. And this guy has uh cheetah print on his head but a very small face and you're just like what and one guy's just like a black devil with horns and you're like i don't know there's no rhyme or reason also some of them have great costumes some of them barely any clothing and it's just like all right i don't yeah. the temperature in midian this seems important <laughs> it's no, all over right. the place there's yeah. the one guy who kind of looks like howie mandel and little monsters you made the guy yes. you just mentioned he looked dark blue with horns or yep. I, yeah he's I was... with with eel guy they're oh, like okay. and they <laughs> All right, I guess they're friends. But it should be a buddy cop movie. Yes, uh, I would that. <laughs> that would be fun. Um, and I think maybe the coolest is I don't know her name. The porcupine lady might be. Yeah. Oh, she's got a beautiful name. You should look it up. I always called her Shashara, but that's not right. Um, this is what happens when you don't have anyone to talk about a movie with for thirty-five years. You're just or making stuff up for yourself. Um, it's like it doesn't matter. Everyone call her por porcupine girl. <laughs> Oh, this Shauna, Shauna Sassy or Sassy? <laughs> yeah, wow. this was her last film that she was in too. Um, and she, I believe, got the role because of the person choreographing that opening dream sequence. Wow, yeah. Man. <laughs> it's like all she did was Nightbreed and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. like, that was it. Strong, um... strong too. That's a good double. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I also love like, the small casting in this. So uh, I just call him a uh, doll part loving gas station guy. Who's the oh, old yeah. <laughs> man that, uh, that gets really roughed up by Cronenberg, but he's so good. I feel so bad for him. And he's just trying to like protect the people in Midian and Cronenberg just like really runs him through. It's pretty brutal, but um, yeah. <laughs> he's great. The berserkers. We didn't even talk about the berserkers yet. Yeah. As a kid, I was just like, what is their deal? And then when they finally like released them, I was just like, oh no. And then yeah. you're just kind of, like, oh. I mean, I guess they're flipping cards and stuff, but they don't seem that wild. But yeah. you know, it's, it's like, um, it's an interesting idea to have monsters that the monsters keep locked up who were like, 
<laughs> oh, we can't let those guys out. And you're like, well, what are these guys? Like, they're um, monsters, but those guys, we don't even give them names. That's not Hank the Berserker. They're just all Berserkers. We took their names away. They're too crazy. Oh, I wish they had really, yeah, yeah Hank the Berserker. the Berserker. Tom the Berserker, <laughs> just really plain uh, names. Yeah. Uh, then they get out, and yeah, they do. They don't seem that, I agree, they don't seem that dangerous. I'm like, okay, they're a little wild, but you know. Yeah, they can flip things and squeeze stuff is all they can really do. But, you know, I guess that that works. I mean, I'm sure there's the extra muscle. I feel like it's just they need the extra people to throw around because they get attacked by the the townsfolk. uh, Basically, it's uh, yeah, this time I really thought about this. I was like, man, if I I don't want to bring too much real world stuff to this, but I feel like this feels like a you could pick any kind of marginalized real world group. And yeah. put them in the place of these creatures trying to live in media. And then people <laughs> from the outside who, I mean, lack of a better term, kind of rednecky people come and try to take it just, and they're not bothering anybody. And then they come just to mess with their way of life yeah. because they're different. I was like, wow, that still, sadly, still very much resonates of like, yeah, people just trying to live their life and they're a little different, whatever, but they're not hurting anybody. And then people who just don't like that just come and just, uh, you know, commit violence to them. I was like, oh. It's like it's getting a little too real for Nick, but it's um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the one of the great things about it. Like Clive Barker makes this wild, fantastical type film thing with monsters and all this stuff and rules, apparently, and Baphomet, <laughs> crazy glowing statues. Yeah, a lot of Baphomet talk I forgot about. Yet. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yet at the heart of it, you're like, yeah, I agree. Like this shouldn't be happening. These people right. being. <laughs> being treated poorly look they're living underneath dead people already no one wants that real estate <laughs> yet you're gonna go blow it up let alone disturb an entire graveyard nope not one person oh, yeah. is like <laughs> I feel like we'd all be cursed even if this works out for us <laughs> like just like no it's twofold yeah it's blow yeah. up a graveyard uh and kill these people yeah. who are just you know, hanging out yeah <laughs> I mean, they're not even feeding off people is the thing like it's right. just it's okay all right <laughs> completely yeah. innocent down there they just want to hang out you know yeah yeah it's just it, yeah it hit me a little different this time around after all the things that have uh continued to happen you know in our country <laughs> so i was like oh Ooh, yeah. yeah yeah also let's talk about when uh when babette shows uh the the girl their history like she's just like let me yeah. show you and then we see some of the darkest imagery set to film up until that point. I think there's like beheadings and people in like stocks and chains and like severed yeah. monster heads. And you're just like, okay, whoa, like it's a real, like a lot a hellscape, her. like a yeah. uh, flashback. It doesn't last very long, but I was like, this is really striking the way that yeah. Ty Bucker does this. Like we a glimpse into like hell for 30 seconds. And it's like some dark, yeah, it's some dark stuff. I was yeah. like, Ooh, um, <laughs> <laughs> looks great though i it's funny to think of clive barker as like so dark and uh, you know most time the hellraiser movies kind of or the hellraiser end up with the person i think uh, a lot of people have been killed it's very dark um evil it kind of wins but it's like we close the box up and they're like okay we'll go back it's not like <laughs> a real victory it's like okay um and but this one i was shocked at how like the director how like light it ends because it's all about this like true love and then Craig Sheffer saving um, uh, Ann Poppy because she dies. He brings her back. And um, uh, at this at a very tender moment, I think the last shot is them like standing on top of uh, the hill, kissing and all the, the monsters from Midian are like waiting somewhere else. They're like, he's Not coming crazy. back. 
It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, we just wait. It's a very hopeful ending, which I don't think of Clyde Park. I think of him as so dark that it's like, that it's like a hopeful, yeah. nice ending. But, uh, um, yeah, I was surprised because I remember ending that hopefully. I was like, oh, this is nice. This is a nice no, ending. It here. It's supposed to end with the hell priest is what we all called him, who brings back Decker. And then he's like impaled. And you see him like go like, <gasps> take this deep breath in. Maybe he wasn't impaled, but in my mind he was. And uh, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, my gosh, those two are going to like chase the Nightbreed to the ends of the earth. Nightbreed 2 is going to rule. And then there was never a Nightbreed 2 because I didn't know about the history of any of this. I just right. thought this was the movie Clive Barker made. Um, turns out it wasn't, but that's, <laughs> I would have loved that. I would have loved to see Nightbreed 2 where they're just like discovering other like clutches of Midian around the world, you know, different like places with different monsters. I mean, imagine Clive and his team just being like, all right, get out the, the books and let's see what kind of weird stuff you've drawn, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what I, I think, what was the budget for this? Like not huge, like 10 million something which is good don't be wrong but like to do all the practical uh monster effects they did i was i was shocked at uh <laughs> at like what they what they could pull off with the uh the money they had because it's like everything is some kind of practical effect or something crazy like i can't yeah. even imagine yeah how much work they put into it oh yeah i mean it's i just wanted to show you and i'll put this also on the um that oh, this God. is the... <laughs> uh-huh Barker illustrator is what the book is called and it was 20 bucks back in the day and in it is a, just a ton of different illustrations and things but you can see Nightbreed you'll see Hellraiser you see all kinds of things so when this episode drops I'll throw in some of those on the on the Twitter feed if you're listening to this to find a film feast and check that out because it's it's like a three second sketch someone would do and it's so bare bones but you're just like how is this so good? And then, and then the <laughs> wall paintings in the in this film, that's what you see is a lot of these like faces, and it's all like the the length of the face and the placement of the eyes that just give you this eerie kind of quality. And like, mm -hmm. Becker's just one of those. Um, it's just so visual. I just absolutely love it. Yeah, he. I mean, he really is very very creative, and I love most of his stuff because it's like, how did someone think of this? So that's why I always think I'm like whose imagination could this come from? But I'm always very impressed. Um, what other what other notes did you have that you wanted to touch on? Um, uh, let's see. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So when people think of Clyde Barker, they don't think a great director. But some of the beats in this film, I argue, are so good. And you've touched on the house sequence. Amazing. Hotel sequence we have to talk about. It's very short. But a lady's working the front desk at a hotel, she or motel, and then she drops her gross, disgusting donut on the ground <laughs> or cream puff or whatever, and she's terrible at picking it up. She's picking up clumps of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then she looks up and there's a severed head on the desk. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The camera's behind the severed head now as she stumbles back towards Cronenberg, who's there with the knife, who then plunges it in. It's a wonderfully put together sequence. And my goodness, I, I was just like well, I forget, I think wild rubber monsters and stuff, but I forget about how well he's executing these like slasher tidbits, which I wouldn't have assumed he would be doing, but it's just <laughs> really nails it. It's super good. Yeah. I kind of wish he directed like a full blown slasher movie with some of the stuff I saw in this. Um, Cause I don't think I, people don't consider Hellraiser a slasher movie. Do they? I don't, I don't think 
okay. I just I just call it a horror movie. I don't even I haven't categorized Hellraiser, I don't think, but I think Pinhead is lumped with the slashers a lot, but he's always felt different to me. Like if you, I see, you know, they put him with like the Freddies and the Jasons, Michael Myers, but I just feel like he's different. It must be that whole like otherworldly quality, you know. I think if you were gonna add him, I would only put him he and Freddie together, maybe because yeah. the personas that they have crafted, whereas like Michael Myers and Jason don't speak <laughs> yeah that's true you know it's like they're not going to say something that i'm going to be like that's really awesome about like the gates of hell or whatever <laughs> you know it's just like but doug bradley is just so like fantastically smug in his like delivery of suffering and everything i mean also i didn't know probably the first 20 times i watched this that doug bradley's even in the movie yeah i saw him in the credits and i was like where was he in the movie <laughs> he's the dude with all the eyes on his face Oh, yeah, he's he's uh Dirk. Um, I don't remember because he said Dirk Lyles and Lylesburg. Dirk Lylesburg. They never say his name. <laughs> okay again, like a name that Clive Barker like just wrote face. down. And yeah, and then when he died, you discover those are all eyes. I don't know why that was revealed, <laughs> but um, but yeah, he was re he replaced somebody in the, in that in that role, but um, he's great. Also, Simon Bamford. Who is the shirtless guy with the dog in the movie? That okay, if you yeah. time you're going, why is he there? Like, what is <laughs> he just looks like a normal guy who hates shirts? Um, he plays Butterball in Hellraiser. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's been a part of the crew from back in the day. So they put him in that giant crazy head with teeth, so he couldn't close his mouth. He oh, tells God. horror stories about it, about how awful it was. But he's this tiny little man. It's so funny because Butterball's <laughs> giant you know and yeah but yeah that's another one of my favorite little uh little notes on this because you just it's just simon bamford in this like he has no prosthetics <laughs> and i don't know if that's because it felt so bad from hellraiser that they're like I, we won't even put a shirt on you you just <laughs> you know you don't even have to wear a shirt yeah like you know, just hold, hold this dog <laughs> yeah like, have a good, just have a good time we're not here <laughs> to make you have a bad time uh that's that's funny yeah i just um i was just so impressed again this time like the the depths they go to to make all these monsters and like there's background monsters which no one need to put that much time into but i'm so glad they did um yeah. i was gonna i know we talked about a little bit about the whole how they got to the director's cut but so basically is a story with this clive parker made it put his version in and the studio which i believe was morgan creek and i think fox was involved he said they just took it away from him and just did it cut it themselves to yep hour did 40. A theatrical okay. cut. yeah which and he did okay it happens more often back. I mean, I don't know if it still happens. I don't know if they give people that much control to take away anymore. Yeah. But yeah, it was the idea that there was not a lot of studio notes and things being given at the time. And then when they saw it, they were just like, this is not commercially viable. We're going to recut it. And I don't, even, I don't even know if he had say on the cover. Like the cover kind of looks like a John Hughes movie, but with monsters. I don't know if that was <laughs> something he intended. I don't know. But um but I, I did love the intro here because you could tell that he had, you know, come to peace with it. Kind of like what, um, I mean, it's different, but what, ah, God, this is embarrassing. Who's the horror director that everyone loves that does the super long monologues and all of his stuff now? Who did Dr. Sleep? Oh, oh, um, oh my God, Mike Flanagan, Mike Flanagan. Yes. It's yeah. like what Mac Flanagan did for Stephen King with The Shining, you know, by doing Dr. Sleep and incorporating uh, uh -huh. 
book and putting it to bed so that he doesn't have this thing that he always hates about his work from this certain thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like that. Like they were able to reconstruct this thing so that Clive can be proud of it and be like, this is what my intention was. And now you can see the way that I wanted it to be seen. And I think that's a that's a beautiful thing. I don't know that you need to see every reiteration in between <laughs> then and now, but mm -hmm. I still think the theatrical cut is interesting. I do like seeing the footage that is not included in this. Um, but I do, you know, I agree. With, it's nice to have the hopeful ending, but I didn't get Nightbreed 2, so what do I care? <laughs> <laughs> no, Nightbreed 2, I don't even care. Um, oh, and I'm curious, too, of Clyde Barker's three uh, directed movies, how would you rank the three? For you, um, I didn't plan on ranking. I love oh, this in a year. Um, <laughs> well, Lord of Illusion would be the last one. That was my okay. least favorite that I saw in the theater, and I was so excited for it, especially after loving Hellraiser and Nightbreed. People say it's amazing, and I'm gonna revisit it. But the, if you can believe it, the last time I saw it was when it opened. I saw it opening. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but. I mean, it has to go Hellraiser, Nightbreed, Lord of Illusions. Okay, yeah. so so you just go, you go in order of release. You're going like... Well, because Hellraiser <laughs> led me to Hellraiser 2, and I love Hellraiser 2 so much that, mm -hmm. like, I think I quote those two more, or I used to. I don't walk around now just quoting Hellraiser <laughs> to my wife. She wouldn't even blink an eye is the sad part. But, um, yeah, I think that's how it'd have to go. What about yourself? I'd probably be exactly the same. I would, uh, Hellraiser is my favorite. I think it's like a classic horror movie. Uh, I like Nightbreed. I don't love Lord of Illusions. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, and I, I, it was one of those movies that, uh, speaking of more video stores, I, I saw the cover all the time and it looked super cool and I had no idea what it was. Um, I thought it was, <laughs> it was like in my head as like a, like a superhero movie for some reason as a little kid. Like I saw the cover and thought it was this, cause it's like, the cover yeah, I remember like was levitating, levitating like yeah. a light kind of, and just like a black cover. It's very simple, but it's a cool image. And I, that image really stuck with me, I feel like. And then I found out what it was years later. And I was like, this is what that movie It's like, I caught like an HBO, like uh, years like later. And I was like, this is not what I expect from Lord of Illusions. Um, I don't love it. It feels like another one. I think he had problems in that one too, I, but I don't, I don't remember. Um, it just kind of feels like kind of messy again, but Nightbreed to me is, more interesting like there's a lot of people that love lord of illusions now um i don't know i probably should rewatch it again although i feel like i just tried that a couple years ago and it still is kind of like i don't know about lord of illusions but um but yeah for me it's hellverse number one nightmare number two lord of illusions number three um but i do wish he got to direct more movies i think he's an interesting director for sure um so yeah, yeah i'm sure well, it was i wish more people would get like like king has flanagan right and i think right awesome if clive barker had someone that equally loved his work so much that they would take these ideas and and be like okay just give me the pieces and i'm going to construct this nightbreed world i watch i'd watch a six hour mini series on it <laughs> i'd watch obviously nightbreed too um I, although it would be super weird with how old everyone is um oh yeah <laughs> craig schaefer um but yeah i and and you know, like we said, his worlds and things are so vast that you could just take a chunk of one of his paintings, even, and just be like, okay, we'll make a whole thing out of this. I mean, people have made what a town out of Stephen King's books, and so it's like, right. They'll pick any Stephen King short story, and make a thing out of it. Like, I think Lawnmower Man's a great example where it's like 
they just took they like oh, which I, it's not even the same thing yeah. took, like the title and just like we're like we'll make something out of that um yeah but no one's mining clive barker's work like they should he has a lot of short stories i think i did buy his books of blood both mm, I think yeah. two, two parts um have not really cracked it open i'll be honest with you but i i this is my problem i buy a lot of books going i'm gonna read more and then i don't read more <laughs> like but uh but I was interested and I was like, I could do short stories. Those are easy to knock out, move on. But um, he's written a lot of interesting sounding short stories. Like, well, he did Candyman. I forget Candyman's based on his short story. Um, it is. The movie's very different than, than his. That's story. what I heard. Yeah. Like the movie takes or the book takes place in like England and the whole different thing. And they, you know, but uh, I love Candyman. So that's, that's another love- one. But that, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I wish some, I agree. I wish someone was like doing what Mike Flanagan's doing for Stephen King's work. Like, someone champion it trying to make stuff out of it um although they probably run into the same problems where the studio's like this is too dark and and scary for you know it's like oh this is too much for us i don't know but um who knows i don't know T- times change maybe they can get on board <laughs> i would hope so i i also get the the feeling anytime people talk to clive barker that he's just like yeah whatever you know and they're just like what like we could do this thing and he's like i'm more than happy just painting this uh, 20 foot by 40 foot painting that no one's ever going to see. That's just going to go in a, in a, like a climate controlled room. And you're just like, yeah, but this is incredible. And he's like, I'm getting what I want out of it. You're just like, okay, <laughs> I guess that's something you genius. I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> you genius. You, um, yeah, I don't know. He's an interesting guy. So yeah, if he's not into it or he's just like, whatever, like I'm doing my own thing. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know. But, uh, um, trying to think anything I, I don't really have many other notes honestly i feel like we touched on everything pretty quickly um yeah well that's the great thing about talking about the bits and pieces out of order is that it's just you can just bounce around and be like and then this part and this part i mean you know that the biggest things for me for this is like that score by danny elfman i just think is mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous it's like most people associate him with tim burton and this you know could have shared connective tissue with some of the better Tim Burton-y dark stuff. Like it's, Oh yeah. Yeah. You now it goes darker, but like the creatures and things, there's some claymation, like stop motion animation stuff, like a weird rat for a second in this. And, uh, Oh yeah. And yeah. Like projected <laughs> bat razor fish thing. I don't even know what you call that. That flies. Some, <laughs> um, some things that seem really at home in the, in the Burton esque world. I don't know. I, uh, I don't think Nightbreed gets enough love. It's not talked about, I don't think, in the same way that things like Reanimator and stuff like that. People would love to shout that out. But when you talk about Nightbreed, it's like, well, yeah, I saw it. But I'm like, oh, but it's got really cool characters and things. And it's like, maybe you have to flesh all that out for people to be connected to it or presented in this like three movie narrative that makes more sense and has less things just randomly almost happening. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know. I love it. I love that, you know, Midian's where the monsters live and they have all these laws that you're like, who makes up these laws? And they're like, right. Who's that? And they're like, I'm not going to tell you. It's just like, I, <laughs> like why is, don't worry about it. Yeah. Why is been blowing? And they're like, I don't know. We can move him though. And I'm like, how? What? <laughs> yeah, it's a, we can't go into like all the rules and specifics. Cause huh. I, it's too complicated, but uh... I'm, time for any of this so no no i i don't look I, at that I, guy I, over there his belly it, is his head's where his belly is and the hand mouth lady is over here so yeah it might have had a hard time because like it came out in the version that clive barker did not really make right. and then i didn't do great at the box office and then uh so it became a cult hit on vhs and dvd 
And then it got, I feel like it got a nice little boost when the Scream Factory came out. Cause I remember hearing about it a lot around that time. People were like, oh my God, it's director's cut. Like yeah. one of those things you never thought you were going to get kind of thing. Um, I feel like it's kind of lost a little steam from that time. But um, I, I think it's just kind of a weird time too. Cause it's 1990. So I feel like it's that transition period from 80s horror to 90s horror. And 90s horror kind of gets like looked down upon a little bit. Which I still don't quite understand, but there could be a, f- a few factors. I don't know. But I was thinking, man, if we all complain so much about like, you know, there's too much CGI and blah, blah, blah. But like, this is, if you love practical effects, you got them in spades in Nightbreed. It is like they're out the wazoo in Nightbreed. It's like every makeup effect you could ever love, you know, is here. There's also just really cool things. Like there's a shot of David Cronenberg in a room where he just got a bunch of knives on a table and there's yeah. like these tubes with bubbles and then all of these terrifying mask faces behind him. And it's like, what is this room? And it's not discussed. And you're just like, well, okay, I guess we're just moving on from this. Go Did crazy. In, I feel like he sits there in silence. Am I remembering this right? Is no, just... there's, there's like, it's either an audio tape that he's listening to. Or, oh, that's uh, right. It's an audio tape. It's an audio yeah. tape. Yeah. Um, but he's just sitting there looking creepy. And I'm like, what is this room? It's his knife, knife room. Like what? Uh, it looks still, great. They're just laid across the table. And I was just like, I don't know if. This is just showing his inefficiency at storing cutlery. What is this part of this scene? I don't like a crime boss or something. I don't know. It's it's very. I mean, very it's cool. cool. It's a cool shot. I, I this time I really was like, I don't know why that makes sense, but I like how it looks. Like it's just exactly. it's neat. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. He's I. Uh, <laughs> Mike Parker was talented filmmaker. It's funny how he's talented at all these different things, like yeah. painter, writer, director. Yes uh some people are just gifted i guess <laughs> like just do everything so um but yeah i like that i think i i was like i need to watch night more because i feel like i could warm up to it more and more eventually yeah. like i i do like it right now but i feel like i could get past some of my nitpicky type things and then just really enjoy the movie for all the crazy stuff that's happening <laughs> like um that i mean i forgot it becomes like a kind of like a full-blown action movie a little bit for the last half hour or so like when they attack Midian which is pretty great I was like oh this is cool I forgot about how like crazy all this gets um it's just it's a full meal of a movie you get everything you want uh <laughs> well, and they introduce this priest character at such a late period in it oh yeah they're just like oh okay and that's why I, I loved the ending of the original one and this one he does get the weird life essence thrown on his head that melts his ears on hair off and shapes his skull weirdly yeah. but his eyes are fine um but like, it just doesn't. It you're suddenly you're like, oh, this is now a main character that like we're introduced. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Oh. Luckily, we don't get his name either. So <laughs> we don't know who he is either. I forgot about. It. Yeah, he's like a main character introduced near the end. You're like, why is this guy part of the group all of a sudden? Like, like he's a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Like, um, that's a weird. I mean, it's it's fine, but it's one of those things where I'm like, that's odd. But, um. Yeah, there's tons of little stuff like that in the movie. It'd be, I was thinking it'd be hard to go through because there's so many like little things where you want to be like sitting with somebody and being like, oh, look at that cool thing in the background or look at that. Like, it's hard for me to catch everything I'm watching and going like, I'm like, what was that monster rewind? Like, um, but I, yeah, it's a very cool movie. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to say anything else about it. I, I may wrap us up soon, I guess. I, yeah, no, I think we did it. I think, uh, it, <laughs> it just, it's his, 
his imagination is just so vast and crazy and his talent to write things that are so captivating and, and unnerving. And then his a talent in putting together films that are then dismantled by studios and his, uh, <laughs> his painting and art. I mean, if anything, if you're listening to this, just look up Clive Barker illustrations, look up Clive Barker's paintings, look up. I mean, it's, it's really gross how talented this man is and, and how fine he is with not sharing it with people. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I hope you feel like you got to say a, a good piece about one of your favorite movies. So I hope oh, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, I could definitely, I, uh... okay, go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I really, uh, I really appreciate this. I, I love uh, Clive Barker's films and, and artwork. And I realize people are like, well, he wrote all these books. I know I just watched the movies. I'm sorry, but uh <laughs> Some someday maybe I'll I'll go through and read them all. It's just I'm not much of a reader. Apologies. I I'm right there with you. I want to be more of a reader. I am not. I I dream. I I have books on my bookshelf. Like I'm gonna read you one day. I don't know when when I retire. Maybe I don't know. But um, it feels like a thing that you have to make time for more than like any other. Like I don't know, a movie or TV show or any other kind of thing. Like I don't know why it feels like it's like you really got to carve out time to read a book. I don't know why that is, but um. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh, so all right, yeah, Nightbreed's really cool. Everyone should watch Nightbreed, and <laughs> that's that's the uh, conclusion of this whole thing. Uh, so uh, Dirk, I will let you go ahead and plug your podcast, your people could follow you, all that good stuff. Oh yeah, so VHUS VHS is the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at VHUS underscore podcast. Uh, you can <laughs> subtle, <That was> subtle. <laughs> Sorry, my daughter is having a drink of a beverage with a metal straw and glass. We didn't think that through. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> you can find our website, vh-us.com. Uh, don't find us on Letterboxd if we didn't drive that fact home. Uh, yeah, we're in the middle of season 12, having a great time. So um, Matt's going to be on there right somewhere after this episode comes out. So head on over to hear us talk about a movie that Matt really loves. So uh, yeah, thanks again for this opportunity. I can't believe it's been a year. Uh, let's not be strange. <laughs> yeah, but luckily I've been on your podcast only in, in a few months time. But uh, yeah, years you've been here was too long, too long. Um, then we had to watch, I thought we really bonded. We had to watch that Leatherface uh, 2017 movie together. And yes. it just had a horrible time. <laughs> um, boy, yeah, what a... What a time, but a great episode. Still, I, I don't think I've told you this. I don't, I can't remember. One of the most downloaded Film Feast episodes is oh, that Texting Tell Massacre ranking. So people loved it, I guess. It was like, should we rank another horror franchise? Was like, I'm down. I'm down anytime. That's definitely how my brain works. When you mentioned your your watches of um, the two box sets, I was like, that's this is my thing. I'm so in that right now where I'm like, I'm going to get all the Juan movies and watch all those. I'm going to do the okay. ring. I'm going to, you know, I want to, I, I'm, I'm not like comparing, but I love personal rankings. I think that's super fun to be like this really connected to me, this one, not so much. And occasionally in Leatherface is, uh, I didn't like this. This is <laughs> this is very bad. Uh, yeah, I, you know, but that was a good time. So we'll do something like that again at some point. Oh, um, not probably not the Hellraiser franchise as, as much as I enjoy the first few Hellraiser movies. Cross. Oh God. I bought them all this last year just to prepare, but yeah. I, I did it once by choice, or just by my own free will. No one forced me to watch all of them. I just said, I'm going to do this, and uh, 
oh near the end i was really pushing through <laughs> it's really yeah, tough yeah. um boy anyway uh so um yes i'll be back on your show soon uh we like flip-flopped like movies that we love to be on each other's shows so uh very excited about that and uh yeah for our stuff you can follow the podcast on film feast pod you can follow me on twitter at maple 87 um you can follow me and the podcast on instagram film feast all one word um and that's it for this time we'll be back next time i believe the next episode <laughs> should start a series for all of june that i'm debating between calling indiana jones june or indiana junes oh, <laughs> because we're doing all june. the indiana, indiana jones movies <laughs> so i need people to tell me do you like indiana jones june or indiana junes better <laughs> Like, I don't know, Indiana Jones just, I don't know, it doesn't quite sound right. I feel like I need Indiana Jones June in there. But um, between all those movies, it's up to the new Indiana Jones coming out at the end of June. So I have, like, perfect time to talk about that series. Um, lots yeah. of great guests. Very excited. Um, Indiana Jones sounds like how Miss Doubtfire would have said the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana Jones! Indiana Jones, dear! <laughs> My voice kind of broke there. This <laughs> hello um <laughs> love mrs doubtfire you do a podcast on that one one day uh great movie i won't i won't hear anything to the contrary <laughs> perfect <laughs> film um anyway uh so dirk thank you so much for being here um thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next time bye everybody